In the animated movie Ice Age by 28th Century Fox, a pack of saber-toothed tigers attack a tribe of nomads. A little boy is discovered by a woolly mammoth named Manfred, a slot named Sid, and a saber-toothed tiger named Diego. These unlikely companions unite in a common mission to return the baby to his father. There was an instance in the movie where Manfred saves the life of Diego, who fell from the edge of an ice field. When Diego asked Manfred why he did that, the mammoth simply responded, that's what you do when you are part of the herd. You look after each other. When Sid heard that, the slot muses aloud, I don't know about you guys, but we are one strange herd. Wow! One strange herd. Don't you feel like that's a great description of a Christian community? A mix of people with different personalities, different backgrounds, different social status, different ideas. Except for the one thing that we have in common, which is our faith and love for Jesus Christ. And because of that, we gather as a Christian community in the church, as a herd of Christ followers, we look after each other despite our many differences and build relationships with one another as one body in Christ. Today, we will discover three attributes of a church living in harmony in one of the epistles of Apostle Paul. If you have your Bibles with you, I would like you to turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 to 28. This is the last passage of the chapter of Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. Now, as you are turning to the passage, you may wonder, what composes a Christian community? Apostle Paul likes to use the metaphor of a family to describe the Christian community. As we become born-again believers in the faith, we are born in the family of God. God is our Heavenly Father and we are His children. That is why Paul uses the words brothers or brethren in his epistles because we are all in the same family of God. Look around you. You see those faces around you? Those are your brothers and sisters in Christ. When we go to church or when we fellowship with one another, whether it be in a big group setting or in a small group setting, the people we see and we encounter are our brothers and sisters in Christ. As it is with our biological family, we do not get to choose the family that we are born in. Our parents and our siblings, it is not in our control that we are born in the family that we are born in. As it is with the Christian community that we do not get to choose who belongs to our spiritual family, the family of God. What does God want our lives to be like in the Christian community? As part of the church, how are we to live in harmony? Paul exhorts the Thessalonian believers on how to live in harmony as a Christian community in the end of his first letter to them with various instructions, and we can see and realize that we also experience these in the context of our church community at this day and age. Let me share with you three attributes of a church living in harmony in the three aspects of relationships we should build upon. Let us begin by reading verses 12 to the first part of verse 13. Verse 12, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Paul referred to the believers in Thessalonica as brethren, which include not just brothers, but also sisters in the community of believers as one family of God. 
We could see this word often as we take a look into our passage for today. Here in verse 12, Paul addresses the believers regarding their relationship with those who, number one, who labor among them, and number two, who are over them in the Lord and admonishes them. Who are these people that labor among them? Who are over them in the Lord and admonishes them? These people that Paul is referring to are the leaders and elders of the church. Leaders and elders of the church right now would be the pastoral and the church staff of the church who are leading the church and its various ministries. In these first two verses, Paul instructs the believers that they are to recognize and esteem very highly in love their leaders and elders. You see the words that Paul used? To esteem them, not just in love, but very highly in love for the work that they do for the Lord and for the gospel. We could see here that the first attribute of a church living in harmony is that, number one, a church living in harmony appreciates the pastors in leadership. A church living in harmony appreciates the pastors in leadership. Appreciates the pastors in leadership because of the work that they do. Let us take a deeper look at the work of pastors as Paul writes in verse 12. Who labor among you? The root word labor from the original Greek text, which means to toil, grow tired, and be weary. This means that pastors are called to work really hard until they grow tired and weary. And number two, who are, you, who are over you in the Lord and admonish you? The phrase over you in the verse is translated in the NIV as who care for you in the Lord as pastors are given the responsibility to lead the members of the congregation like a shepherd who takes care of his flock. Pastors are called to shepherd the church of God as mentioned in Acts chapter 20, verses 28, when Apostle Paul exhorted the Ephesian elders. While admonish means to warn or reprimand someone firmly, which also is a responsibility of pastors providing correction to their congregation or church members, which sometimes it's very difficult, but of course, a gentle and loving discipline is vital for a harmonious church community. As some of you know, I worked for five years in the corporate world as an investment banker after finishing my undergraduate studies before coming full-time in the ministry. What I realized back then is when I clocked out in our office and leave the office, I can really leave the work behind and just come back the next day, not minding the work, especially on the weekends. But the difference right now, working as a full-time minister serving the Lord here in our church, or anyone who is serving the Lord full-time, that there is no clocking out if you are full-time in the ministry. It does not end even when we leave the church office. As the Lord entrusted people in our care, we always have to be on call to minister and care for the members of the church, what day or time it might be. Actually, there is a saying among our church staff that the work of the ministry is unending. Ministry does not end with one worship service, with one fellowship, with one event, with one outreach, or even one camp. It really is true as Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 to 38, when Jesus said, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 
With the church of our size, the church staff right now is still understaffed. But we praise God, the Lord of Harvest, for His faithfulness that our church staff is still growing even during a time of the pandemic. It is through His perfect timing that He brings in people to labor in His ministry. What I really appreciate is how our GCCP community does fulfill this biblical principle and takes care of its pastors and the whole church staff. I remember the time when I came to the church staff as a part-time ministry intern back in 2018. My clothes size were usually small or extra small, and my waistline is between 28 to 29 inches. As some of you know, I love food. I usually eat a lot, especially when you tag along with me in the Eat All You Can buffets. And I am the person who exercises and works out in the gym not to lose weight, but to gain weight and bulk up. But the four years in the ministry and many pounds later, the suit that I am wearing right now, it's getting tighter on me. My size right now when I shop for clothes is between small or medium. And my waistline right now is more than 30 inches already. As I look back when Pastor Stephen mentioned to me before I started in the church that most of the church staff, when they started working here, they gained pounds and got bigger. One of the reasons why is because here in our church, or maybe as part of the Asian hospitality, the love and appreciation language to our pastors and church staff is through giving of food during special occasions or just randomly surprising the church staff with food without any occasion at all. There was a point during the holidays in December that the church members would message one of our church staff saying that they will be sending food over, whether it be for lunch or snacks for all the church staff to share. There were so many people from our church who would be sending us food that the whole month of December would be filled up and we don't need to bring our own lunch or buy it. There would be even a calendar at the whiteboard in our church office for the schedule of the food for what day or whether it be for lunch or snacks. I hope this won't be the motivation for those who are thinking or praying about in applying and be part of our church staff because it's nearing December already. But kidding aside, this is where I know that the congregation and our church members really excels in, in appreciating not just the pastors in our church, but the whole church staff. We are truly thankful and grateful to labor alongside each and every one of you in the ministry. My encouragement for us is to continue appreciating our pastors and the church staff, not just with yummy food, but keep us also in your prayers as we lead this church and serve the Lord in the ministry. Even with, with as simple as sending a message of encouragement or appreciation for the work of the pastors and the church staff goes a long way after a long day or week in the ministry. Let's move on to the second part of verse 13 until verse 15. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, Warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. We can see in these verses, Paul transitions from the relationship of the congregation to the pastors and moves on to the relationship of the congregation with one another. Ministering is not just the responsibility of the pastors in leadership 
of the church, but everyone in the Christian community. We are called to minister and care for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We can see here that the second attribute of a church living in harmony is that, number two, a church living in harmony ministers to one another in fellowship. A church living in harmony ministers to one another in fellowship. Paul ends verse 13 with the sentence, Be at peace among yourselves. The peace here is a command from Paul to the Thessalonian believers because there might have been some tensions in the church back in Thessalonica. They are, they are to put away the friction between them, and this would be a great start in respecting and esteeming their pastors in love as Paul had instructed them in the previous verses. Let me ask you this. Are there going to be people in the church that would frustrate us? Yes. Are there going to be people in the church who would say or do things that we cannot stand? Yes. Are there people in the church that even when they are just standing there or sitting down there, they would really get into our nerves? Yes. As it is with our families, there are tensions, arguments, misunderstanding, or times that we do not see eye to eye in certain things that we disagree on and so forth. It is bound to happen. But Paul urges to pursue peace within our Christian community because peace won't just happen. It is something that we need to cultivate. We need to strive for peace so that we could be more like the Prince of Peace. We can be more Christ-like. Paul continues in verse 14 and exhorts them to minister especially to three types of people in the Christian community and how they are to relate or respond to them differently. First is, warn or admonish those who are unruly or idle. When someone is living spiritual idleness, we should warn them. We should warn them and admonish them. Minister to them by lovingly admonish them to come back to the Lord and pursue Christ in their life. The second is comfort or encourage the faint-hearted. Notice here that Paul did not say warn or admonish the faint-hearted. We are to treat people differently depending on their situation. Imagine if you admonish someone who is faint-hearted. Someone who is at the point of giving up on their faith or facing something difficult in their life. You do not admonish the faint-hearted. You encourage them. Minister to them by strengthening them with your words or actions or even guide and carry them for a time. And lastly, uphold or support those who are weak. This could be physical weakness or spiritual weakness. Whether you hear, when you hear these words, you might think, maybe Paul is not talking to me because I cannot help the weak. I myself, I am weak. I need someone to help or minister to me. Friends, as we are in the spiritual family of God, there will be always be someone who is a weaker brother or sister who needs you to minister to them, to support them during the times that they are weak. Paul follows it up that we need to be patient. Dealing with these people that Paul mentioned, such as the unruly, faint-hearted, and the weak is hard at times. But a Christian community living in harmony should be able to minister to these kinds of people with love and patience. 
We should be patient in warning the unruly, in comforting the faint-hearted, and in helping the weak. We all need to intentionally minister to one another in the church as one spiritual family. In the article, The Anatomy of Business, What Kind of Bone Are You? It explains that there are four main bones in every organization. The first bone is the wish bones. Those who wish somebody would do something about the problem. The second one, the jaw bones. Those who are doing all the talking but very little else. The third one is the knuckle bone. Those who knock everything down. And finally, the fourth and last bone is the backbone. Those who carry most of the load and do most of the work. Funny as it is, I hope in the organization of the church, we are able to minister to each and every kind of bone that we have in the church. Despite our differences in upbringing, attitude, culture, and opinions, everyone is called to do minister to one another as one body and one spiritual family in Christ. There was a time a church member messaged me through chat asking how I am doing. We talked and catch up with things that are happening to us since we don't talk for a while, and we, but we usually greet each other when we see each other at church. During our catch-up conversation, I found out that this church member intentionally messaged me and that he has a list of two to three people he would message per week not just to catch up with them, but also to minister, to encourage, and to pray for the people he would be messaging. What a joy it is as a pastoral staff of the church to hear and know that our church members are intentionally ministering to one another, loving and encouraging each other. Can you imagine if all of us in the Christian community would do that? Even just starting with one person to intentionally message per week that would be 52 people in a year and multiply that with the number of people in our congregation, the number would not just be in hundreds but in thousands per year. Brothers and sisters, reflect on the times that you have been burdened or convicted to minister to someone, but you did not push through. Let me challenge you to always be ready to minister to people to our brothers and sisters in the Christian community. Maybe there are some people that you have in mind right now, whether they are a part of the church or even outside of the church community, that you would want to send a message or be able to minister to them. Let me encourage you to be more intentional in ministering to the people around you. Paul closes this section in verse 15 to remind the Thessalonian believers about not to seek revenge or repaying evil to anyone. But instead, they must pursue to do what is good for one another and good for everyone. It is a reminder for us that as we belong to a spiritual family, as we minister and engage in doing these things, like warning the unruly, encouraging the faint-hearted, and helping the weak, it is inevitable that someone in the church would hurt us. Someone will say or do something that will offend or even embarrass us. They will say things like, Who are you to tell me what to do? I know also some things about you. I don't need your approval. Or I don't need anything from you. Or maybe much worse than that. And because that will happen, 
Paul says that we are not to be vengeful or to get even with those who have wronged us outside, even outside of our church community. But instead, we are to pursue in doing what is good, not just for us, but for everyone else by loving and forgiving our brothers and sisters in our spiritual family who have hurt us. Forgiveness is not only good for those who did wrong to us, but it is also good for ourselves and our spiritual life. It gives us the peace in our hearts instead of the vengeful spirit that seeks to get even with the people who had hurt or wronged us. There's a quote by an unknown author that reads, We cannot control other people. We can only control how we respond to them. We cannot control other people if they would do evil or hurt us. But we can only control how we would respond to them. Our response should always be in love and forgiveness. To those who have wronged us, to those who have hurt us, because as God loved and forgave us of our sins and when we sin. Brethren, let us minister to one another in fellowship for us to live in a harmonious Christian community. Let's continue on with verses 16 to 22. Verse 16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Paul now comes to the third aspect of relationships we should build on. From congregation to pastors, congregation to congregation, we now come to the relationship of the congregation towards God in terms of worship. What should be our attitude when we worship God? In verse 16 to 22, Paul listed down a series of commands for what should the Thessalonian believers do in their worship. The third and final attribute of a church living in harmony is that a church living in harmony exalts God alone in worship. A church living in harmony exalts God alone in worship. In verses 16 to 18, Paul tells the Thessalonian believers as they pursue being more Christ-like to, number one, rejoice always. You know, in the King James Version, always is translated to evermore. We should rejoice forevermore. Rejoicing should be our attitude as we worship the Lord. Joy comes from knowing who we worship and who is in our hearts when we worship. Number two is pray without ceasing. Prayer is our way of communication to God and we should have that constant communication with our Heavenly Father. We should develop an attitude of prayer in our lives. And finally, number three, in everything, give thanks. We are to give thanks in all circumstances that we are in. Whatever situation that we might be in right now, we are to acknowledge that God is in control. We should have an attitude of gratitude. Do notice the pattern here with the same idea. Rejoice always. Pray always or all the time. Give thanks always or in all circumstances. Paul then continues the half of verse 18, explaining that we are to do all of these 
because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for our lives. We can see that these three attitudes of rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks is being cultivated in our spiritual life and the way we worship because Jesus Christ lives in our hearts. It comes from Christ in us. As Galatians 2.20 says, For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Paul continues on with verses 19 to 22 about the Holy Spirit and God's Word. Do not quench the Spirit. What does it mean to quench the Spirit? Apostle Paul gives us the imagery of the Holy Spirit found in Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit appeared as tongues of fire over the heads of the disciples. The image from Pentecost where Paul says, do not quench, or another meaning of quench is do not extinguish the fire of the Holy Spirit. It means that we are not to resist the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Sinning and disobedience to the will of God is also quenching the Spirit so as it is, not using the spiritual gifts that God gave us. Paul then adds, do not despise prophecies. When the Spirit of God moves, it is often through proclaiming the Word of God, the Scriptures. The prophet is the one proclaiming God's Word to us. We should not, we should not despise the Scriptures. Paul is simply saying that when the Holy Spirit leads you in appreciating pastors, encouraging the faint-hearted, cultivating a community of peace, love, and forgiveness, helping the weak, or admonishing the, uh, the unruly, do not quench the Spirit, but instead, we should respond in obedience to the movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It would be the same if you are at the other end. If the Spirit of God is moving someone in the church community to admonish you, to encourage you, or to help you, do not let your pride get in the way. But instead, listen to what they are saying to you. Do not extinguish the Spirit. But we are to, of course, test all things. We need to test these things if it is in accordance with the Scriptures. Does this person speaking truth to me aligned with the Word of God? And if they do, we should hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. Following on testing everything, Paul mentions that we are to retain faithfully what is good, hold on to it, and abstain from evil. Not just one kind of evil, but every form of it. It is true that when we exalt God in our worship, the Spirit of God convicts us to the truths that is found in the Scriptures that we hear and keeps us away from evil. He is making us more like Christ. He is sanctifying us as we worship God so that we would look less like us and more like Christ. A quote from theologian Jeremy Begbie reads, God's ultimate purpose for humanity is to call together a community whose life will reflect his own. Let me tell you a story about a man who, leaving church one Sunday, complained about the music. So he said to the pastor when he came out of the church, I didn't like the hymns that you chose today. The pastor, with a smile on his face, simply replied, that's okay, we weren't saying them for you. The pastor may have been too blunt 
But he made a good point. In our consumer-oriented world, we sometimes think that corporate worship services are just for our entertainment. But we are not just spectators attending a show. We are participants in the greatest enterprise of the universe, which is worshiping God and what we will be doing for all of eternity. Though we are blessed by doing it, our worship is not for ourselves, but for God alone. We are praising God for His power, His glory, His majesty, His wisdom, His holiness, His goodness, and His grace. Our worship for Him on earth is just a glimpse of what is yet to happen when we will be worshiping Him for all eternity in heaven. My prayer for each and every one of us that we will have the right heart in worshiping God, that He alone is exalted in our worship and no one else. Through worshiping Him, we can exemplify Him as we live our lives daily and live in harmony with one another in the Christian community. Finally, Apostle Paul closes his first letter to the Thessalonians with a prayer and benediction in verses 23 to 28. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Paul highlights in verses 23 to 24 that as God called us to live in harmony through appreciating our pastors, ministering to one another, and exalting God alone in worship, that these are part of God's calling for us, for our sanctification as His children, as we anticipate the return of Jesus Christ. Paul then asked the Thessalonian believers in verses 25 to 26 to pray for him and his companions and for them to greet each other with a holy kiss. You might be looking at each other right now. Don't get me wrong. Paul is not saying that we should kiss each other when we leave the church after a worship service. Greeting with a kiss is normal during the New Testament times. In the early Christian communities, a holy kiss would serve as an affirmation of their unity as brothers and sisters in the common faith. The key aspect here is not with the form of greeting, but the function as a sign of unity and mutual affection with the Christian community. In our context, any culturally acceptable form of greeting as what we usually do after the worship service, like handshaking or fist bumping with one another, would serve as the same function of unity as part of our worship to God. Paul closes his letter in the last two verses with a reminder to read the letter to all the brothers and sisters there together, then with the benediction of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with them. Brothers and sisters, as a community of believers saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, may Christ be with us because it is through Him that we can live in harmony together in the Christian community. As I close, let me share to you one of the wonderful experiences I had during my time studying in IGSL. 
it is the opportunity to interact with students who are from abroad. Uh, I have classmates from China, from India, Nepal, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Mongolia, Indonesia, Sri Lanka, Korea, Thailand, even Kyrgyzstan. I got to learn about their calling in the ministry and how they are doing ministry back in their home countries. There was a time during in one of the IGSL community events that was the praise and worship time that the song How Great Is Our God was sung. It started with the music team singing in English, but during the last few repetitions of the chorus and bridge of the song, the worship team asked the students to sing in their own native language. As the different languages of the lyrics were sung, I can literally feel goosebumps and I can feel the hair on my arms rising up. Even with the different languages that we hear, there was just only one meaning. There is only one God that we were worshiping all together. We are all brought together as a community of believers as one spiritual family with God, our Heavenly Father. It made me realize that despite coming from different countries, uh, having different cultures, different traditions, eating different kinds of food, uh, in, coming from uh, a different race, way of doing things, uh, our different attitude, our quirks with each other when we are in class, etc. Our Heavenly Father is the one who unites us as one big spiritual family that is the Christian community. Brothers and sisters, as a community of believers that are one in the spiritual family, in the family of God, we should be able to cultivate a church that lives in harmony where we, number one, appreciate the pastors in leadership. Number two, minister to one another in fellowship. And number three, exalt God alone in worship. Knowing all these attributes that Paul writes to end his first letter to the believers in Thessalonica, let us be on our feet and take part in building and living a harmonious Christian community. Let us pray. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for giving us your word. We thank you, Lord, for gathering us, Lord, even with our differences, even with uh, the different um, things that uh, we like, the opinions, the ideas, Lord. But we know, Lord, that we are gathered, Lord, as one big happy family, Lord, in your spiritual family. And you, Lord, our Heavenly Father, knows, Lord, that uh, we are to uh, minister, Lord, to one another, despite, Lord, all of the differences that we have. And we, we thank you, Lord, for the people, Lord, uh, in our church that um, are doing these things. We also pray, Lord, that as we strive, Lord, as a church, as one big church, Lord, that you cultivate, Lord, uh, in our lives, to live out, Lord, these principles, Lord, that is found in your word. We just uh, pray, Lord, and trust you, Lord, that all of these things, Lord, will take into heart and apply, Lord, in our lives, Lord, as uh, we leave the church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.